800-919-3776. Get me on Twitter at Dan Gross at G-R-A-C-A. All Yankees. And hour number one, as you would expect, 4-2 defeat last night. Game one against the Strohs. See if they can bounce back and even things up with Luis Severino a little bit later on this evening. You know what? And I apologize for this. One guy we didn't mention, I probably should have. We've been sitting here for an hour. And I'll eat crow on this one as well, because I was as critical as anybody. And I thought at the time it was rightfully deserved. How good has Harrison Bader been? Like, where the hell would this Yankee take? Like, who would have thought in a million years in, I don't know, the month of August, we would have said, you know what? Where would the Yankees be without Harrison Bader right now? Where would they be? I mean, this guy's good for a home run every single game, pretty much. He's putting together one of these, like, Daniel Murphy runs that he had in 2015 leading the Mets to the World Series. I don't know if the Yankees are going to get there, but he hasn't really been as good as Murphy. But you know what I mean. He's he's good for hitting one out of the ballpark here, which is more than you thought you were going to get from this guy when he was in a walking boot and Jordan Montgomery was out there in St. Louis mowing down hitters left and right. And it's amazing how things have turned. Amazing. But now you need more than just Harrison Bader. You know, Aaron Judge has not exactly set the world on fire here in the postseason. I know he's hit a couple out of the ballpark, but you know what? He's struck out more often than anything else. And while he was going through that record-setting stretch and hitting the 62 home runs, I, we were talking about it then. This is great, but you want him to save some of this stuff here for the playoffs, do you not? Because if he goes out there and stinks up the joint and the Yankees fall short in October, I mean, what's going to be the big takeaway from this past season here with Aaron Judge? Is it going to be, oh, he hit 62 home runs in a record that only some people care about? Or is it the fact that when the house was on fire in October and you needed somebody to put it out, he wasn't there to deliver for you? I'm not even going to get into what could happen potentially if he leaves as a free agent, but we'll worry about that then. Jordan in Long Island, he's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Jordan, how are you? Doing all right, Dan. How about you, man? Good, Jordan. What's up? Uh, so, I just kind of wanted to piggyback off that guy. I don't want to get into the revisionist history. This is not the time to do it, to be talking about the what-ifs of the offseason. I agree with you. But the one thing I want to talk about with these guys and the way that Booney's playing the infield is really just like one example of the front office's will- unwillingness to admit their mistakes at all is. Like, I'm sorry, I understand that Josh Donaldson got paid a lot of money and that he's been around this stuff before, but he looks more lost at the plate than I would look up there. And you got don't say, Hey, hey, Jordan, don't I, sell yourself short. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I think I could make some contact at least, but no, no. Um, I, I just more like, you got IKF, who's a gold glove third baseman where he came from. You have Cabrera, who's shown he's an absolute gamer and a stud out there, frankly, for a kid his age. And you're playing them out of position, and one of them's on the bench to make room for this guy who has been nothing but a bust for this team, frankly. He's had some big moments, but come on, man. I mean, he does not belong at that plate right now, not in these big moments. I mean, he had more runners on last night than anybody, arguably, no? You're right. I, I mean, it, I mean, there's no way around it right now, Jordan, but here, here's what I will say, and I thank you for the phone call. Going back and worrying about what took place in the offseason, that's not going to help you now. Like, we all know it was a swing and a miss, no pun intended. We all know that. But the question is, all right, You've got 162 games of data, plus, what, five, six more games in the playoffs. 160, 168 games. Start managing with a feel a little bit. Put the darn computers away. 
And I keep bringing up the Matt Carpenter example. Matt Carpenter didn't play baseball for how long? Didn't swing a bat for how long? And remember, this is a guy who a year ago, the organization that knew him better than anybody else in the sport, the only organization that he knew, his entire professional career pronounced him as essentially being baseball dead. Right? They had a baseball funeral for Matt Carpenter. We do not think you're good enough anymore. And that's the Cardinals. Supposedly like the greatest, most loyal, fan-friendly, player-friendly organization known to man. And they said, thanks, but no thanks. Thanks for the memories. And then he's toiling down in, in, in the minor leagues. And the Yankees were so desperate that they decided, you know what, we'll give this guy a shot. No harm, no foul. Most people thought that he'd only be up here for like a week and a half. For, refresh my memory. Who went down that prompted them to sign Matt Carpenter? Who was the injury? What, was it Stanton early in the season? I'm trying to remember. For the life of me, I can't remember. Who in the lineup got hurt that that's why they had to call up or, you know, take a flyer on Matt Carpenter? Anyway, it might have been Stanton because Stanton's always hurt. So he goes on a tear. Nobody expected this thing to happen. And he became one of their most important clutch hitters all throughout the course of the season when they were racking up victories, when they had the best record in baseball and all those things. But then a funny thing happened along the way. You know what happened? It's called a season. It's called baseball. And then he gets injured. So when you look at the analytics and you look at the data and when they key all that stuff in and they see Matt Carpenter, the computer does not know it was Stanton. There you go. See, when in doubt, if it's an injury, just say Stanton. The computer doesn't know that Matt Carpenter hasn't played baseball in the longest time. Instead, the computer just looks at, okay, what has Matt Carpenter done historically in his career against said pitcher or said team or at said ballpark? And how did Matt Carpenter function in certain situations earlier this year before he got hurt? All right, they're human beings. They're not video games. They're not robots. And all I know with my own two eyes is I got a guy who ain't exactly a spring chicken, who missed a considerable amount of time during the season, and he's got six at-bats here in the playoffs, and each and every time he has struck out. Is that a trend? Is that a slump? I look at that and say, geez, he's having a hard time putting bat on baseball. Why am I going to keep running him out there? Roger in the Bronx is up next here on 98.7. Roger, how are you? Hey, um, I'm doing okay, I guess. Um, I want to talk about the Yankees. Yeah. First, I'm, I'm going to say two things. First, it's been the same story since 2015. Different players, same story. It can't be Houston. That's one. Two, I already took a wild guess on how many times they're going to strike out tonight. I believe they're going to strike out 15 times with Josh Donaldson striking out four times just for the fact that I know he's going to be in the lineup again because Cashman is going to refuse. He refuses to admit he's been wrong about this man. And he wants to prove us the fans so wrong, so badly, that no changes are really come. Yeah, but what, but, but, but you know, Roger, Roger, what if you know what you can you, you can almost kill two birds with one stone? You bench Donaldson, but you kick uh, IKF over and put him at third base. So I then at least you get one of those guys from that base. trade in the lineup. He's a gold glover in third base. At least that would be his natural position. At least that'll make sense to me. I'll be like, okay, bet. Like, at least they're trying something new. Putting Cabrera in shortstop, putting RKF in third base. Let's see what happens. But get this man off the lineup. But they won't do it. Cashman won't, won't allow it because he wants to prove us wrong. 
at this point, it's a war between Cashman and the fans. He wants to prove us wrong, no matter the cost. And it's going to cost us the series again. Same story, same old Yankees, same problem. I can't wait for them to explain to us, the fans, again, for the fifth straight year, why striking out so many times in the series doesn't really matter. You know what, though? strikeouts to two. No, Roger, that's disgraceful. It's disgraceful, and thank you for the phone call. You can't strike out. I mean, how can anybody take you seriously if you're striking out 17 times in in the league championship series? And Verlander was out of there in six innings. Like I said earlier, this isn't Randy Johnson out there, you know, going eight, nine innings and just mowing people down left and right. Verlander was out of that game. I would say, you know, if you would have asked the Yankees before the game, hey, you got Verlander out of there in six innings, would you sign up for it? They say, absolutely. Absolutely, because this is a guy who could still pitch deep into games, even at his age. You know what, though? If that's the motivation, like as Roger said, if this is still a, hey, let's prove the the fans wrong and getting into a contest just to, hey, this was the right move, we're going to look like geniuses when it's all said and done, if that's what you're trying to accomplish as an organization right now, then what the hell are you doing? You think that you think that that trade could be salvaged in any way, shape, or form? Aside from the fact that one of these guys hitting a walk-off home run in Game Seven of the World Series, you tell me how this is going to be saved. It's not. And again, I will remind you about Josh Donaldson. Said it the day the trade was made. Why do you think the guy has been on five teams in five years? What were you expecting? Really and truthfully, what were you expecting? How about the Knicks last night? Seriously. Start to finish, that was an enjoyable game. And the only thing that left a lot to be desired, of course, was the outcome. But you think about where this game was heading, potentially. Okay, I know that you had that thought, probably. I know I did. They're down by 19 in the third quarter. And you think Memphis is running away with this thing. And I know that Memphis was, you know, not whole. Dylan Brooks didn't play. Jaron Jackson Jr. is still out. So they're missing a couple of their key guys. And they got John Morant. And they're a very good team at home. And he thought that maybe this was going to be too tall of a task for this Knicks team to hang with them, right, consistently. But they fought back. They got a second wind. And it was really a couple of guys off the bench that provided a spark that if we were sitting here picking names of guys who were going to contribute in that game last night, probably weren't going to be the ones who you thought. Certainly not Isaiah Hartenstein. How about this guy? Because Mitchell Robinson does what Mitchell Robinson is prone to do, and then he gets in foul trouble. Hartenstein plays a career-high 40 minutes last night. And good minutes. Good minutes. But 40 minutes? And his first-ever game with the team? Okay. And Cam Reddish. Everybody's waiting for a Cam Reddish breakout. You know the talent. And when Quentin Grimes didn't play last night because of the foot, Cam Reddish was going to get first crack at those minutes. And you know what? He rose to the challenge. Played really, really well. You know, 20 points off the bench in 28 minutes. 9 of 15 from the floor. 12 points in the fourth quarter. Crunch time. And, of course, that big game-tying three uh, in the corner in the final seconds of regulation. Huge performance. Now, can he keep it up? Wait and see. But you know, our buddy Brendan Brown, who does the games with Ed Cohen, of course, right here on 9870 ESPN, he made a point during the broadcast that 
You know, the Knicks are going to have 10 guys. They're going to make up this rotation. And each and every one of them brings something different to the table. And Tom Thibodeau isn't going to have any sort of reservations about calling on any one of them to go on into that game and play and contribute quality minutes. And that's what you got last night. You got a taste of that. The only problem is, is that they had arguably as good a finisher as there is in the league in John Morant, and he just made one too many plays. And look, you want another silver lining from this game last night? How about the fact that R.J. Barrett couldn't throw the ball in the ocean? He really and truly couldn't. You know, how many more games of like that are you going to see from R.J.? Where he's 3 for 18, can't make a 3. You know, as bad as the Yankees were when it came to making contact last night, like that's how bad R.J. Barrett was shooting the ball. He's not going to have too many like that. But even in a game where he couldn't get it going on offense, he only lost by one possession and he took the Grizzlies to overtime. Right? That's the silver lining. That is the, that is the proverbial glass half full for the New York Knickerbockers last night. Right? Jalen Brunson got a couple of early fouls, so he wasn't much of a factor in the first half of the game. But you know what? Slowly but surely, hung in the game and started to make plays and contributed on both ends of the floor. And you look at the box score, Jalen Brunson had himself a good night. And arguably, the biggest play that he made was just to get that game into overtime, sacrificing his body, drawing the contact, and drawing that charge at the end of regulation on what would have been the John Morant game-winning layup. And I can't believe that Morant even got that one to go because it was like a Houdini act in midair, how high up he was. But that's winning basketball. That's the type of plays, and those are the type of plays that a coach like Tom Thibodeau is going to love. We know his commitment to defense. And Brunson is somebody that, you know, is not necessarily known for that as part of being one of the strengths of his game. But that was a big-time play last night. Really and truly was. You know, that was a nice stamp on your first game with this organization. Giving up his body, making the stop on the other end, and then they just ran out of gas in overtime. Randall found out early in the OT, and he played pretty well. You know, Julius played a good game last night. You will take that from Julius every single night. If he gives you 24 and 11, you know, the body language, the body language more than anything else was better last night for Julius Randall, which is what you like to see. But you lost the game, right? He got beat by a great player in his building and a couple of young guys, too, on Memphis that are going to have to contribute this year. They're going to be a pain in the neck again. But for the first game, I think you got to be satisfied if you're a Knicks fan. You got the home opener tomorrow night. You got the Pistons. That's a winnable game. It's a very winnable game. As far as the Nets are concerned, I mean, I mean, what can you say? I don't know, are we, are, are we starting the Steve Nash clock yet? For how long he's going to be the head coach? I guess they must have missed defensive practice during training camp this year. I, I mean, it was like five against four sometimes. I, I had to look up and make sure that Anthony Davis wasn't still playing for New Orleans. And by the way, how about that team? They look like they were dead and buried. And the organization was just going to like break off and sail off into the water someplace and never to be heard from again. 
But look at how the Pelicans are set up to be competitive right now in the Western Conference. Look at this. Now, if Zion could actually stay on the floor, that would be a big boost too. But they got some talent. And they waited this thing out. And they, yeah, initially had egg on their face. Anthony Davis didn't want to play there anymore. But look at how they built this team. I know the rumors about Zion not wanting to play there. Well, guess what? Now you have the corn place. Pelicans are going to be good. And we were all waiting with bated breath to see, well, what was Ben Simmons going to do? What was Ben Simmons going to do in his return to action last night? We had more fouls than points. I can't go all in on the Nets. Can't. Won't. Because this thing could easily self-destruct at any given moment. Kyrie could wake up one day and decide, I don't want to play basketball. We don't see him for two, three weeks. Kevin Durant could wake up one morning and decide he doesn't want Steve Nash to coach the team anymore. You know what? That might not even be when he wakes up in the morning. That could be actually during a game. Durant could be sitting there on the bench just watching the Nets get destroyed. They can't stop anybody. They don't play defense. And then he might just ring up Sean Marks or Joe Sy after the game and be like, hey, you know what? I don't want this guy coaching anymore. Remember what we talked about in the offseason? Yeah, I'm back to that again. Congrats to KD, by the way. He bought a pickleball team. Congrats. That's like the new thing now. Who did, Was it Tom Brady that just bought a pickleball team? Maybe he'll actually show like more interest in that than he will in his own football team. <laughs> was it Ben Roethlisberger coming out now and telling the world that you know he doesn't think that he thinks that Tom Brady could actually up and leave in the middle of the season because he just doesn't want to be out there anymore? That's not. I mean, that's not a good look. It's not. You know, and everybody that was kind of to be fair. All the people that were saying on like Saturday before the game even took place about Brady going to Kraft's wedding on Friday night, being away from the team, flying to Pittsburgh by himself, missing Saturday morning walkthroughs, not doing all those team-oriented activities, they were saying before the game how that would maybe ruffle some feathers in the locker room. To be fair, it's not like 2020 hindsight Monday morning quarterback garbage. They thought that that was a possibility. And boy, was that ugly on Sunday. And who knows if it's going to turn around. I'm sure Todd Bowles enjoying himself down there. He's probably saying, great, I get a chance to be a head coach again. Get a good opportunity. I'm thinking I got it made. I got Tom Brady, but he didn't realize he's got personal home drama Tom Brady. Inner turmoil, one foot out the door, retirement Tom Brady. Which is not the ideal Tom Brady you want. Pickleball owner Tom Brady. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. I'm curious. How many people were encouraged by that Nick performance last night? Really? Were there positives to draw from that outing last night? Because like I said, I think that there were. Legitimate optimism. I'm not sitting here altering the goals either. I mean, they are what they are. You know, I think that the play-in tournament is a realistic goal. But there were a lot of good things that happened in that game last night. Really and truthfully. We'll get into the football here in just a sec, but let's say hi to Jonathan in L.A. He's up next here on 98.7. Jonathan K. Pasa, what's going on? Hey, Dan, how's it going? Good morning. Good morning. Um, well, I'm doing really good, man. First of all, I mean, I'm really proud of my guys. yesterday, the Yankees. I'm a big Yankee fan, calling from L.A., but I just don't don't like that, that you always give the Yankees negative vibes. Come on. 
it's okay. I mean, the guys party two days ago. Okay, now they have to now they have to get a flight from New York to Houston. Okay, and they gotta get the hotel room, dude. And they lost four to two. They did a great job yesterday. I'm so proud of my guys. And you know what? Today we got it, Dan. But Dan, you gotta stop with that negativity. Today we got it. No, Jonathan, Jonathan, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. And I don't think I'm being negative. I think I'm being realistic. Okay. When have the Yankees ever beaten the Astros, especially in Houston, in a big spot over the last several years? Well, they we're due. I guess we're due. We're due, man. And you can't get those negativity vibes right now. Right now, especially on Saturday, cold at the stadium, we got it, man. John, I'm gonna, John, I'm going to tell you something. You right now, John. I'm going to tell you something right now, and, and and I thank you so much for the phone call. All right, you could sit there, do a spin, stand on your head, click your heels three times. Whatever sort of positive vibes you want to bring to that team or whatever negative vibes you think that I am displaying towards the Yankees. All right? It can't be any worse than what they did last night offensively. I could step into the batter's box blindfolded and I would make contact more frequently than they did last night with the 17 strikeouts. That's an abomination. And by the way, I mean, Jonathan's making it seem like that, you know, the Yankees had to take care of their own travel going to Houston, that they didn't have any hotel reservations whatsoever, that yet, that as soon as the game ended, it was like, remember the scene in planes, trains, and automobiles where, like, the, the flights kept getting canceled and everybody, when they got to the airport at the terminal, they were all, like, running and waiting in line for the payphone? Like, that's what Aaron Judge was doing at LaGuardia on Tuesday night. You didn't know that? Aaron Judge was at a, at a payphone, by the way, at a payphone. They still have a few of those tucked away. And he's got the phone book out. They still got a couple of those. They're relics. He got the phone book, and he's he's flipping through it. Or, or, or Anthony, did he call four one one? He called four one one, right? And he's like, "Give me um, hotels in in Houston, please." And he got on the phone, and he was able to get a room somehow, some way. Except they couldn't get one for everybody. I think Luis Rojas had the bunk with Aaron Boone, which stinks because Booney's got that cough still. And I think, like, Jose Trevino and, and, and had to bring, like, a sleeping bag. And he was, you know, sleeping on the floor of Aaron Judge's room. Because Judge gets the biggest room because he was, like, the first one that actually was able to make the reservation. I don't even know about Higashioka. Higashioka may not have even gotten a room, and that's why he wasn't in the lineup last night. Because he got no sleep whatsoever. And by the way... We're not going to feel sorry about the Yankees that, oh, they had to play a game the day before in another round. You know what? A, finish the Guardians earlier, right? And B, you got how many days off during that series because of the rain? That's out of control of everybody's hands. That is a, that is a God-driven act. Nobody has any say about that. You know what? The Astros, they took care of their business. They beat the Mariners in three straight games. That's why they could put their feet up for a week. And by the way, think about it. They played an extra game because that one took 18 innings out there in Seattle. So they only got credit for three wins, but they basically played four. There is this kind of like quandary going on, at least with me. Like, really and truthfully, how much celebrating you think the Yankees did in that clubhouse, on the flight, 
to Houston. Because that was always the tricky pro- Whoever would win that game, whether it was the Yankees or whether it was Cleveland. Like, you don't want to go too hot and heavy with the champagne and getting a little silly because you got to turn around and play a game the next day. And you got to travel. So if you're hungover, that ain't going to serve you too well. And you know what? At least some of those guys offensively last <laughs> when they were swinging the bats. Might lend credence to that. Steve is in uh, Orange County. He's up next here on 98.7. Steven, how are you? Good, man. I'm, I'm pissed off, man. I'm Why is that, off. Steve? These guys are profes- professional baseball players. Old left side of the infield is open with second and third. Donaldson can't poke one through. Strikes out. Striking out 17 times. Can't make contact. It's, 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 it blows my mind. Blows my mind. Are you waving the white flag, Steve? Are you waving the white flag? I was done before the freaking series started, man. So that's it. These done. guys aren't the same team. They're not the same team that started the year. Well, They're not. At the beginning of the year, they were playing baseball. They were bunting. They were hitting and running. They were stealing bases. They ain't doing none of that. They're waiting for that three-run homer. Well, look, here, here's, the, here's the big difference, Steve. We, we were talking about this off the air, and I thank you for the phone call. Here's the difference. Not so much from an offensive approach here for the Yankees, but on the other side of things when it comes to them with the pitching. In the first round against Cleveland, and I think Cleveland's a really, really good team, love their approach, scrappy, all that stuff. But if the Yankees were going to make some mistakes in that series, that Cleveland lineup, with the exception of maybe, you know, Jose Ramirez for the most part, they make you pay by slapping the ball all over the ballpark, not hitting it out of the ballpark. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts. Houston, on the other hand, you make a mistake, they make you pay by hitting the ball out of the yard. Right? And unfortunately, that's kind of like what the Yankees' approach is offensively, but they have not been able to feast on that too much, as much as you would have liked lately, and certainly not last night. But the two runs that they scored were all courtesy of, what, a solo homer. It's a dangerous way to sit there and map out what you're going to do or what you want to do to try to get to a World Series. It just is. I have confidence in Severino tonight. I do. I really and truly do. But the problem is, is that I really, really, really like Framber Valdez. He's good. I said this long before the Yankees and Astros were matched up in this series. Houston's 1-2 is better than the Yankees 1-2. Cole and whoever you want to consider their two. If you want to say it's Severino, if you want to say it's Nestor, whoever the hell it is. But Verlander and Valdez are better than whatever two the Yankees are going to throw at you. Valdez is good. But you know what? They can go out there and, and make me eat my words and shut up and all those things, whatever. It don't matter. Go out there prove me wrong. Get the bats going tonight. What is the computer going to say? Is the computer going to say Josh Donaldson or Matt Carpenter should lead off tonight? What do you think? Because some analytical algorithm that they feel is going to pay dividends for them offensively? Football fans, it's not too late to sign up for Cover 5, a free-to-play pick game for a season-long fun, and compete against your friends, your rivals, and your favorite 9870 ESPN host. Pick five games each week. Best score against the spread wins $100. Join the 9870 ESPN League with code NY22 on the Cover 5 app and Cover5.com. Visit ESPNNewYork.com for full contest rules. Speaking of the football, 
two more big games on Sunday, right? Jets go to Denver. Giants go to Jacksonville. And I'll tell you what we've guaranteed ourselves in this city. We've guaranteed ourselves, brace yourself, for meaningful football games, at least through Thanksgiving. Now, if I would have told you that during the summer, whether you're a Jet fan, whether you're a Giant fan, you would have signed up for that instantaneously. Because the chances of that happening were probably remote, certainly for both teams. Maybe, you know, one might catch fire, one might make it interesting, keep it interesting somehow. You know, Giants, despite the fact I think on paper, Jets are the more talented team, Giants' schedule was a lot more forgiving. At least on paper it was. So you never know. But now you got the Jets off to a 4-2 and two start. Winning three in a row. Winning games that a lot of people said that they would lose. Giants off to a 5-1 and one start. Same thing. Winning games... That people thought that they would lose. And right now, they'd both be in the playoffs if the season ended today. Now, six weeks does not make a year. We know that. But we've at least got ourselves a football season that we know in another month from now is still going to be relevant. And dare I say, I mean, we're just a couple of wins away from both of these teams to maybe, just maybe, having a relevant football season till the very end. I mean, look around the league right now. Who's good? Who's really good? Who's unbeatable? And this is Roger Goodell's NFL, boys and girls. This is exactly what they want. Parity reigns supreme. In what universe can you wake up on week one thinking that your team has a shot and you could be optimistic and all those things other than this NFL? To a team like the Giants could be 5-1 and one with a new coach. And you know what? Even the players that they have on their roster, the guys that you look to to be the leaders and your best performers, some of them can't even get on the damn field. And yet they're still going out there and winning football games. The Jets have a murderous schedule. Starting quarterback misses the first four games of the season. You know what? They're now getting it together. There was an article today, I didn't get a chance to read it, I saw it, Bill Barnwell on ESPN, which is kind of like an odd subject matter, like who thinks about these things, but can the Jets make a case as being the third best team in the AFC? I don't think like teams wake up in the morning and like that's their ultimate goal in life. You know, like if you enter the Olympics, like you're not like waking up and saying, I want to win the bronze, right? You go to be the best to win. But I guess the point being, if we go with the general assumption that in the AFC, it's Buffalo, it's Kansas City, and then it's everybody else. Okay, I would agree with that right now. And can the Jets make a claim to be the third best team? Sure, why not? It's not going to mean anything on October the 20th. December 20th may be a little bit different. But now they go to Denver this week. And I'll tell you, it's a confident bunch. And they have every reason to be confident. Why shouldn't they be? They've had some good wins. And the film doesn't lie. Especially last week in Green Bay, they are just lining up and kicking the you-know-what out of people. It's taken a while, but they got there. And now you go play a Denver team, with or without Russell Wilson, who knows? That Denver team is a mess right now. It's a mess. I know there's altitude out there, I know Denver's a difficult place to play, all those things, but if you're that jet defensive line, 
seeing what you did to Green Bay last week, and that's a Green Bay offensive line that's got pro bowlers, all pros, all that stuff, and they just destroyed them. What do you think they're going to do to a Denver offensive line, which were springing holes like Swiss cheese last week on Monday Night Football and already down a couple of key players due to injury? That Denver defense was on the field for 83 snaps on Monday night. 83 on a short week. And the Giants, look, tricky spot for them coming up on Sunday, going down to Jacksonville. Jacksonville's better. They're well coached. You couldn't say that about them last year. And they do have talent on that team. But they've been in a little bit of a funk. But you know what the Jaguars do? They don't get blown out. Even when they get beat, they're like right there in these games. Every single one of their losses this year has been by one score. So this one's not going to be easy for the Giants coming up on Sunday afternoon. Can they win the game? Absolutely. But it's funny because the odds makers don't really think much still of the Jets or the Giants. Giants are three-point dogs going down to Jacksonville. Jets, meantime, I think right now it's a point and a half going into Denver. But how fun is this, really? How fun is this that we have a football season? And I know how this town works. Football does not get the 100% of the attention until baseball's done. And for the last 25 years, at least for the better part of the last 25 years, you know, the Yankees have always been in the World Series conversation. So if you were a football fan and a football fan and nothing else, you know, you had to kind of like wait in the corner and you had your one day a week. But other than that, the six other days, like, you had to be patient. You had to bide your time until the baseball was done, until the Yankees were out of the way. And, you know, the Mets, every once in a while, would play baseball in October, like this year. It was fun. They had a good workout that weekend. But it's wait till baseball's over, then we can talk about football. And then you hope that once they put the bat and the balls away, that the football teams are still relevant and they're still alive. And that's going to happen this year. It's good for us here on this station, of course, home of the Jets. We got a little extra pep in our step, showing up each Sunday doing these games, having a bunch of fun. Pre-game 2 o'clock this Sunday, by the way, Jets-Broncos. But this could be a fun, fun football season when it's all said and done. And I always say, if you're a fan... The most rewarding seasons that you get out of your teams are the ones that you expected absolutely nothing out of. And I think that if you're a Jet fan and you're a Giant fan, I think it's safe to say that you could really be the biggest optimist in the world. But I think you had to sort of temper the enthusiasm ever so slightly because it was still a tall order to be sitting here talking about playoff teams for both of them here in 2022. Still could happen. Might not happen. But we got a season. Right? We got a season. And that did not look possible once we kicked this thing off. We'll see how much longer the Yankees end up playing, though. And then we can actually really devote some time to the football teams. But tonight's a big one for the Bombers. Severino's got to show up. How about... Six innings. Give me six innings. Keep them in the game. 
Remember, you got your rested bullpen arms, Luizica, Holmes, Peralta, all these guys. They're ready to rock and roll. Keep Frankie Montas the hell away from the mound. Keep Matt Carpenter out of the batter's box. Keep Josh Donaldson away from that field. All those things. Gone. Goodbye. And you take your chances. And hopefully, you can get Valdez out of that game. Maybe work the pitch count up a little bit, even though that bullpen's good. But I'd still rather take my chances with them as opposed to the guy they got starting the game. And maybe, just maybe, you could find a way to steal one tonight. But if you're striking out 17 times, you don't stand a shot in hell. I can promise you that.